This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Pear. If you have a business, you need a website. Now, what's the best way to get a website up and running? Choose a website hosting company that makes it simple, like Pear Networks. Pear has over 20 years of experience managing the entire digital ecosystem for thousands of online businesses all around the world. Pear makes it easy for you with do-it-yourself website building tools and features, including simple drag-and-drop page design. And they have guaranteed U.S.-based support technicians ready to help you whenever you need it, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Right now, when you sign up with Pair Networks, you'll receive one free month of web hosting. See for yourself how easy it is to build your websites for free. Visit pair.com slash free to get your first month of uh, website hosting for free by using the code quick start that's pair.com slash free promo code quick start to get started today enjoy the episode it's the language of the universe but i don't understand it hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the math and physics podcast i'm your host parker and I'm Ray, and we welcome you back to episode number 96, where today we have our good friend Brett here with us, where we are going to be diving into some concepts of physical geography, the physics of the earth, and uh, also I think we're also going to be dabbling into some climate change today. So Brett, as a start off, maybe you want to introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, so hi everyone, um, I'm Brett, um, I'm a scientist as well. Um, but I study physical geography um, as well as environmental biology and geographic information systems. So a lot of science that I do has um, to do with physics, chemistry, biology. It's at the intersection of a, a lot of sciences. Mm. Um, but I think there's a lot of overlap and probably a lot more overlap than you think with math mm -hmm. and physics. Mm -hmm. I also want to know, just general question, very like j just just starting off. Do you think like you can apply all this knowledge that like you learn here to extraterrestrial planets as well? I'm assuming like it's still oh, it's yeah. still like the things yeah still work, absolutely right? yeah. So like um, you can still understand and model like complicated systems just with our understanding here. Yeah, um, learning about how the Earth came to evolve uh, biological systems has a lot to do with. Um, than how we learn about exoplanets and and why we're learning about exoplanets. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we can we can talk about it today if you want about a lot of the things that went right for life to evolve on we Earth. Can talk about it's, that. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a miracle, really. It's so um, yeah, you can definitely use it to apply uh, finding life on other planets and solar systems out there. Mm -hmm. yeah. And like, what is it about the Earth that just drew you into that subject? Well, I would say like. I, I grew up um, in New England where I would go out, explore the woods, the hills, the, the forest, the mountains, the beaches, and I, I just love to explore. But it was really, I think, when I started to scuba dive that that sort of changed my perspective mm -hmm. because that completely immerses you into a different environment, a di an environment that humans are no longer evolved or adapted for yeah. i mean mm -hmm. 
it's really somewhere that maybe you're not supposed to be but well we were at one point right like we went yeah, from there to to like terrestrial i mean hundreds forms. of millions yeah. of years ago <laughs> yeah yeah probably somewhere in the background <laughs> um no but yeah it, it just kind of clicks you know when you see like um the natural systems in balance i mean i would dive in the caribbean and coral reefs where there was so much biodiversity around me that felt sort of alien but also sort of familiar um seeing how like everything around you sort of depends on the, on the water the the pressure the, the temperature mm-hmm. um, um and all these physical features that all come together and make it right um and then i also saw like bleached corals and mm-hmm. um you know a lot of trash and pollution so gets you thinking humans are definitely a big driver of environmental change and i feel like as a human i want to get out there explore what this planet has to offer its natural systems and i mean if if humans are causing sort of a um, environmental destruction i, I want to like at least help like monitor it make people aware of it mm-hmm. uh, awareness i think is one of the first steps because i think so many people even to this day or like they know it's happening i think a lot of people like they kind of know it's happening but they're not like nobody's really actively on the individual scale doing anything about it because i think a lot of people think and we've discussed this before like off camera but like a lot of people simply think that oh at the at the individual scale there's nothing you can do right like what are you gonna do itself so people are just like okay there's nothing i can do so why do it yeah right i mean there's a bunch of problems out there that no one person can solve but i think it's the getting together and everybody working on it and maybe we can actually start solving issues Mm. Yeah. yeah what i find interesting about like physical geography is that in physics we'll see like a two body problem or like some mechanical system with like six degrees of freedom but when you're studying like a system in physical geography it's just like you take the number of degrees of freedom to infinity and like you just study the whole thing as like one object yeah uh physical geography is very complicated in that way where um in in physics more traditional physics i've feel like you're you're lucky when you get like a closed system and you can track all the forces but physical geography kind of suffers because it's very hard to develop mm-hmm. those math those mathematical models isn't the whole point of like physical geography to estimate some of these things because like how can you know you can't know everything in a system like the canyons for example right yeah. like if you're trying to like if you're trying to understand those systems or what's happening in there i would assume like you would have to have some level of estimation so there's a lot of statistics in there i'm assuming as well right that you're like oh how how confident am i that okay this will happen because like the whole thing with like climate or really predicting anything is the butterfly effect right especially in like nature like a little just a, just a little deviation from what our model is right now could just be completely different in the next like the weather is the easiest example to give yeah. you know like we think it's going to be this tomorrow but in a week it could not be that whatsoever mm-hmm. it's just about like how it just changes you know with with the varying level of complexity. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a part of it. We're, we're, we're going to dive deep into it. We can dive into some deep concepts today. Mm-hmm. Talking about uh, different parts of it. 
before we get into the episode though yeah we'll lot do, to talk about all right yeah lot to talk about <laughs> we'll do our quick little intro here so first off we got the comment of the week the comment of the week this particular week again very simple to become a comment of the week all you really have to do is comment on the latest episode i think i think um we can maybe include like also comment like your favorite episode or maybe something new in the future but i'm just thinking maybe we can spice it up so comment of the week this week we have i'm gonna mispronounce that name it's pavitira okay uh they say it was an informational episode optics is a beautiful field of physics which is so important in biology too and all the research one of the luckiest applications of physics in biology really proud to see an indian here <laughs> so that was on our last episode with dr achanta so thank you for that wonderful comment. Again, if you want to be comment of the week, just comment on the latest episode. That's right. Anything else? Um, in terms of like I stats, so. I think we'll just like start updating you guys when like something big happens. Yeah. Like every single week, we just seems like we say the same number. So like, you know, it, it, it's some big number. Okay. Um, other than that, we have a pretty big update in terms of the world scientific giveaway i know finally i know so yeah back in october we announced that we were going to give away 10 books uh in a partnership with worldscientific.com um and we announced that we were going to give away adventures in quantum land exploring our unseen reality by ruth kastner and um so we announced that giveaway and you know we only really we shouldn't have announced it back then yeah but you know a lot of back and forth between us and world scientific and now finally we can announce the winner but before we announce the winner just a little bit on the book just a little bit to remind you guys mm -hmm. about um this uh this title here so it's kind of an uh, an introductory read you know not for necessarily people who are in physics but who are just interested in physics but of course if you are interested in physics and you are doing physics in, in school you know you, you can't go wrong with with books on quantum mechanics so it goes over a lot of topics um a lot of interesting topics of course in quantum mechanics because so many things just rack your brain that to have somebody put it into words that aren't equations is sometimes really helpful even if you are a physics student really putting it into a different perspective is always great um so yeah of course if you are a, a physics student or even a, like a researcher there's a whole bunch of technical references at the end of the book um and yeah yeah so I mean, the, so the winner yeah so uh this happened quite a long time ago three months ago actually i see the comments right now and if if you guys remember the the, the winner had already been picked so it was a completely random number generator with nothing special. I'm reading the comments once again, and once I just want to mention, I love every one of the comments. I wish all of them could be the winner, but the random number generator picked uh, Hari Prasad's comment, and he says, stop giving me an ex existential crisis. And Hari Prasad, uh, <laughs> congratulations for winning the first World Scientific Giveaway from the Math and Physics Podcast. We will be contacting you shortly probably through youtube or we'll figure that out but uh yeah we're gonna be we're gonna be in touch so yeah i mean we're gonna be also releasing the next book and the next uh, world scientific giveaway as well because we, we did mention that we have a total of 10 books that we're gonna be giving away so we will do that in in keen time right in keen time but uh i think that's it anything else uh yeah we are also going to be 
um, posting our next NFT giveaway on Instagram. So make sure to go ahead mm-hmm. and check that out. And we'll announce the winner next episode. All right. Yeah. That's, I believe that is everything. Okay. All right. Brett, Mr. Mr. Brett. Mm, yeah. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us maybe what is your favorite topic to study in physical geography? Ooh, that is a question. Um, I get very enthusiastic about like all of the topics in physical <laughs> geography and there are many, it's a very broad field. Um, I would say a few of my favorites because mm-hmm. I don't know if I can just okay. do one. No, go that. Um, I really like. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's it's hard. hard. It's it might hard. be hard. hard. I really like soil science. That's a, that's a, a very interesting topic that is very understudied. Um, so is that just the study of soil? Just the study of the soil. Study of soil. The soils are incredible because they're the intersection of like the lithosphere the atmosphere um the biosphere the hydrosphere and it's very biodiverse when you pick up like a teaspoon or a handful of of soil like Hmm. you know billions of organisms and species in there so is there Um, a way to like is there like a i'm sorry i'm assuming i'm assuming there's like a soil sampler like a soil test there where you can get the organizations or or not organizations there are many ways wait no no not organizations no what's the word organisms various organisms in in the soil or whatnot i'm assuming like there's some things that we can dive into deeper because you're saying it's like understudied and i'm just wondering like understudied in what way like is it just not understood or just not enough has been put towards it well i there's there's many questions going on there i feel like hmm, i mean there's there's very few ways where we can track all the species that are in the soil i mean we know i mean a lot of them but it's very hard to quantify like that there's also the physical properties of the soil within that and i think we're just sort of starting to understand a lot of those and a lot of what like agriculture and um stuff like that what that does to the soil Mm. um so by properties could it be like like mineral content or water absorption, yeah, exactly. things like that. Yeah. Um, also like density, um, mm-hmm. bulk density too, how compact the soil is, um, acidity, um, sometimes temperature too, because um, so, mm. soils can retain heat and also give out heat. Mm. Okay. Um, so usually in, in, in physics fields, or at least we're the ones that we're interested in, uh, you have a field or something to know, and then there's a reason to know that. Right. So tell me, like, what does knowing about the soil tell you? Like, does it tell you things about the plant? Does it tell you things about the environment? Like, what is it? What, what does knowing about the soil tell you? Knowing about the soils is a very good indicator of how healthy the, the environment is. That's a very good question. Um, it's. I mean, there's a lot of different applications for that, too. Um, and when you when you get like humans involved, um, knowing what kind of soil you have Mm. um would be good for like if you want to grow stuff if if you want to dispose of stuff too um like if you need a a septic septic tank for your house or something you might need a soil scientist to then go and check to see if your soil can actually drain the um the the compounds wait you just septic tanks just go right into the ground 
I thought they were. Uh, yeah, they go into the ground. There's also um, measures to prevent leakage. But basically, they're they're put in the ground, and then you have microbes that work to like oh, try and decompose okay. it. Um, and I mean, that's what the soil is all about. It's all about microbes and um, you know fungi and mm. everything. They're recycling all the nutrients um, and carbon. Uh, soils contain the 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 that they are the biggest reserve of carbon in on Earth. Mm. So they contain more carbon than the trees. They contain more carbon than, um, I think, than what the ocean can actually like um, mm. dissolve. Mm. So they're very important, especially now with climate change. Um, why? Wait, why? I don't, I don't understand that statement. Why, especially now with climate change? Well, especially now with climate, we can use soils to sequester carbon. So if we mm. practice agriculture, and I mean, agriculture is tough. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think that there there are ways where we can do agriculture better to sequester carbon into the yeah. ground. Like um, a different process of taking it out of the soil, like a different scientific process or like just a different approach. Yeah, it's it, a different approach to agriculture. Yeah. Um one of the biggest destructive things that humans have done is plowed the soil. Really? Wait, yeah. yeah. Wait, wait, sorry. I'm very unknowledgeable <laughs> with this subject. Wait, aren't you supposed to plow? Plowing the soil gives you some short-term benefits but when you look at the long term the soil in the long term it's going to get compacted it's going to get depleted with nutrients mm. um, and then you're going to emit more carbon than you're actually sequestering in the ground mm. um, oh that's just funny isn't it oh. yeah <laughs> that's just um, really funny it's also a big i mean when when you plow the the, the land you're leaving, you're leaving the ba- land bare for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then you can have forces like the wind and water wash away a lot of um, the, the soil and dirt. Mm-hmm. Um, and that contributes a lot of the time to de- uh, desertification. Mm. So you're having a lot of areas on the planet right now that could be sequestering carbon, but they're not because they're they being used for agriculture. Oh. And then they're degrading the land that way, turning them into more... Um, arid areas ouch i remember reading about desertification in grade eight and really i yeah i read about like i had a geography class um and basically i don't know how much you know about this uh just because you know everything every topic is just so broad but i read i read about one thing where um farmers would plant rows of trees to like section off the fields just because like the roots, like having a contour of roots did something for the soil. And yeah, so like, yeah, it, what's that about? The roots, they keep the soil in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that's very important. Now, humans have, by removing trees in a lot of cases, accelerated erosion. Um, I mean, erosion can be bad for like a lot of different circumstances, but except, especially in these cases when they're, become deserts where you're just letting this um, sediment blow around um it's very important also to have um trees by like coastal areas to help reinforce them rather than just adding like hard concrete mm. seawalls. you always see that mm. yeah you see that all the time yeah, you see that all the time um or like around rivers like bank reinforcements a lot of times they'll just try to like straighten it out put like concrete um in mm. them but 
uh, that just usually causes erosion elsewhere. And it's usually like the, the trees, um, the fungi in the soil that keep it together. That's, I, I like natural solutions. So I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to say that that's mm-hmm. the best solution. Um, like coastal areas, especially like mangrove forests, those will trap sediments. And mangrove forests are going to be very important when you have rising sea levels because, I mean, if they're getting that sediment and then trapping it in those areas, then they'll be able to keep up. Um, otherwise, if the sediment's going in other places, then they won't. Interesting. Um, yeah, so like these soiled... So I'm just thinking of soil. I was I was trying to compare it to like something that... The soil is like the atmosphere for the ground. <laughs> it's another sphere. What? <laughs> I know, I knew that was going to get a reaction, but if you think about it... It's basically, it's basically just, you know, supporting what exists on in the ground. Like it doesn't, it's like the same. I know it's like the same way the atmosphere just supports. Like it, it does everything. You know, like it um, gases transfer within each other. Carbon turns into this. This turns into that. You know, we have rain all over. Like the the cycle continues in the atmosphere, and we are able to live on this world because of that cycle. So isn't that just the same for tree? Like it's just on the ground. Though. Like that's just how yeah. I was thinking. Like you can think so. So if if we say that like soil is basically like the like is there is there a primary purpose for soil itself, or is it mainly just to support other things, to be with other things, to transfer nutrients to other things? Like is it just an atmosphere? Like like that analogy. If you kind of I don't know what you mean by just an atmosphere. Okay, okay. Like so I feel like that. Like, like all the things atmosphere. that you named after saying, "What's the point of soil?" Like that is like that is the point. You know, yeah. Like, no, but there's no like primary. Like okay, you know what I mean. Like it's just supporting other things. Like the atmosphere, for example, like it exists to support the ecosystem, in the same way that the soil is supporting the trees. I'm saying, is there any direct use for soil apart from that? You know. Like, is there any direct use for soil? Apart from, like, growing the vegetation. Apart from, like, yeah, apart from being, like, an environment, well, I mean, like an atmosphere yeah. for the ground, can you use it in any other applications? Well, I don't I know mean, with all these organisms. Sorry, sorry, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, when you say that the, the soil is, like, an atmosphere for the ground, I mean, I, I, I see what you mean and where you're coming from there, sure, but it's, but it's, it's, there. it's um, I mean, we call that, like, the, the biosphere, um, uh, the zone between like the water table and the top of the trees. Okay. The, the, the critical zone. Um, but it's the intersection, you know, yeah. of the atmosphere, of uh, the hydrosphere and the mm. lithosphere, where you have um, not only like the like the dirt, the actual rock particles and clay, sand, silts, all those, um, but you also have spaces of air, spaces with uh, water, pores of water that's in there. So. Um, the atmosphere is within the soil too, um, a lot of this, and there's gas exchange going on mm. in there with the, the organisms. Um, as far as some of the purposes is, is that it's, I mean, I like to think big picture, right? Yeah, that is. Uh, I, I, I think that, um, like, if you look at the Earth over time, I mean, when before we had soils and everything, um, biodiversity has increased steadily increased over time i mean there have been um, extinction events mass extinction events which have dropped down those biodiversity levels but um 
over time, we've seen this progress of biodiversity increasing. And it's within the soils that the organisms are helping um, do that with each other. They're building up diverse ecosystems literally from the ground up. So um, I think there's a, a bigger sort of mm. purpose in there in that they create biodiversity for other life, like their life supporting other life. Um, it's really like a network of life and symbiosis going around in the soils. Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Speaking really of uh, interesting really soils, cool. what about like those crystal caves? What a, what about the crystal caves? Like, so how does that even happen? Because I was thinking, like, you know, the soil, it's like a, a part of the earth, right? But if yes. you go like deep enough in some parts, yes. you get like these these formations where it's just like these air bubbles essentially just like caves and then there's like just the right conditions for these like crystals to grow yeah i mean when you look at like the chemistry of the earth um and you look at how like the composition of it really everything is a crystal uh, <laughs> um, as you have it's just a lot of structure right it's right. just about the structure of the atom there are a lot of structures and yeah. as they cool down um, from being inside the mantle to them being in the crust they're cooling down and crystallizing um, so I don't know about those crystal caves I mean they're very interesting they look very yeah, cool yeah. Um, also if you look at like microscopic images um, maybe through like electron microscopes and stuff like that you'll see crystals on tinier scales too mm-hmm. um, arrange themselves in very similar ways mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like snowflakes you know mm-hmm. yeah crystals snow, well that is a crystal of, of water, well, of water. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so i'm just thinking about like this excess amount of carbon in this particular system and like you know life happens to be from carbon and whatnot and carbon's very excessive in the universe so well it can be somewhere else too Right. Yeah. So we mentioned in the beginning that we were we we could talk about the possible or not the possible, but the evolution of the earth and how lucky we kind of got along the ways for life to have formed the way it did. Yes. I'd like to explore that for a second, because I think that's really interesting. Like it just it's just cool to me to know about the evolution and how did. Yeah. How did like things like soil, for example, or any like microorganisms play a role into like conscious life today? Yeah. Well, um, I think when astronomers were first starting to answer these questions, they were looking at like the other planets in our solar system. I mean, if you look at Venus, now we've we've dropped like um, like rovers and everything there that don't last very long. Mm-hmm. But we get an idea of what Venus is like, and um, what Venus is really missing out on. I mean, it's very similar to Earth. It's like almost the same. The gas, though, <laughs> um, the clouds. Right, and that is because it doesn't have the same sort of plate tectonics that the Earth has. It doesn't have the same cycle. Um, the The rocks that are there are just built up from volcanoes, and they never go back into the, the mantle. Oh, I don't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Earth has those um, plates go back into the mantle, continuing the rock cycle and everything, they're also bringing a lot of carbon down there too. Mm-hmm. And then when the volcanoes uh, erupt, they're spewing a lot of carbon back into the atmosphere. On, on Venus, that cycle is broken to where you're just getting a buildup of carbon and then you have a runaway greenhouse effect. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, Earth is a little bit 
bigger. So, I mean, people have guessed that maybe the size of Earth has something to do with um, plate tectonics. I mean, because you have more of a liquid, uh, or um, I'm sorry, not liquid, but more plastic uh, mm-hmm. um, mantle and everything. And then, I mean, if you look at Mars, you got a different uh, sort of circumstance. Mm. Uh, Mars is probably less ideal. I mean, it's a little bit further away. Um, it's a lot smaller. Um, the fact that it's smaller means that the core is going to be um, solid. I mean, Earth has a, a liquid core, um, well, a liquid outer core, and then mm. the inner core is solid. That generates a, a magnetosphere, um, and that protects from a lot of damage from the sun that you could potentially get, um, like blowing away the atmosphere, which is what we think kind of happened with Mars. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mars also is not really big enough to um, keep that atmosphere um, near it. You have a lot of faster escape of gases. Mm-hmm. Um, so having that means that life is going to have a hard time with a thin atmosphere and getting bombarded by harmful radiation. Yeah. yeah. Um, Earth, on the other hand, was very lucky in a lot of ways. I mean, we have Jupiter in our solar system, which still protects us from a lot of like asteroids um, that would cause mass extinctions. I'm not everyone, 66 million years ago, uh, <laughs> but I mean, it protects us from a lot of damage. We also have the moon, and the moon that was kind of just a chance event. I mean, we think that that happened from like a Mars-sized object yeah. hitting Earth mm-hmm. early on, mm-hmm. which I think is incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean. Now we have this moon that then stabilizes our tilt. So we only really go between 22 degrees and 24 degrees on our axis. But then you, you look at like Mars and I mean, Venus is like upside down. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> uh, Mars in its history, we can tell that it's been um, tilting a lot. It's been all over the place. And that would probably make it a lot more difficult for life to adapt, you know? Wait, why though? Um, Just like the cycles of the sun, how they change? Okay. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, also, like the tilt of the earth has a lot to do with ice ages. Like ice ages mm-hmm. are more Right, we likely. saw that in uh, our first year course. Wait, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, explain, yeah. That. explain that. Like, that's interesting. Um, there's something called the Milankovitch cycles. Where I've heard of that. Actually. Um, Is it an ASD thing? No, we saw this in GGI. Oh, yeah. interesting. Continue. Um it is essentially the result of the axial tilt, uh, the eccentricity of the orbit, mm. and then which way the axis is pointing. It's, okay. It goes between pointing at like Polaris, which it is now, and there's another star, Vega, which it tends to go to. And basically, when all three of those line up in just the right ways, it's more likely for ice ages to happen. Like. Um, when you have the tilt at 22, seasons are less, um, like the differences in seasons are less extreme. Mm-hmm. So it more just depends on latitude um, where you are. And then like being at the poles, you're going to have more time to d- develop um, glaciers and there's positive feedback loops with those um, mm-hmm. that are going to reinforce building the glaciers. So is this the is this the sole reason for ice ages just in general or is this just with the Earth? Because I'm actually because you brought that up and I'm just like curious now like how does an ice age form? So is that specific to Earth? 
Um, I mean, it, I feel like in we like the ice age as mm. we think of it is specific to Earth because mm. there's a lot of water here. No, so, but I just think like, that in any okay, yes, I, no, no, I guess, like, I guess there yeah, there are ice ages on other planets, but they're just rocks. So no, like, but, they, okay, you make it a just point. Just looks but, like a cold mm, rock. I guess. Well, I, I mean, guess. yeah, I, 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 I don't know if we know how ice ages on other planets would. Work. Like, there's they no might ice, have though. You know? I mean, they can be. Like, well, how guess, do you know that, that would there's no be water? revolutionary? Like, I'm saying, I'm see saying. A, another planet with a bunch of glaciers on them. Like, I mean, uh, water is not that uncommon in the universe. I think so. Yeah. I mean, hydrogen it's is awesome. so. I mean, I guess right. o- I oxygen know. too is a little it's bit of hydrogen. It can, it can. Um, but also, like ice is just another rock too. So I mean, I like it's especially in glaciers where at the bottom, like the snow like those little ice crystals are being mm. compressed where they are really rock um so i don't know maybe on other planets you'll see other sort of compounds form glaciers and ice sheets i don't know because mm. um, like isn't there um the ice like ice can not only be water ice right yes because okay let's 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 dive into that in a second but i know because like titan for example has a ice structure like the outer body of it is ice and it's predicted that it was a or it has an inner liquid core now i don't think that's been proved obviously that would be revolutionary but i think there was recently it does though right it has nitrogen nitrogen oceans or something like that um i think that's not too certain but i know it has an icy layer so anyways but i do want to ask though in general like are there different ices not i'm not too familiar well, with I that mean, because like, can you have? Because I was reading this thing on 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 Titan, right? And it says water ice found on Titan, and I'm like, water ice? What other ice? Water ice. I'm not sure. I'd have to read yeah. that. But ice. I mean, when we talk about ice, we're really referring to like water, which is H2O, mm-hmm. and I mean that could. I mean, it depends if you have like a different number of like neutrons in the, the hydrogen and stuff like that. Um, it might have slightly different properties. Um, but ice, ice is ice, I think. I mean, ice can have different properties than what we're used to under different circumstances, like under different pressures and temperatures. Mm. Um, but it's all related to H2O, right? Yeah. I yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure too, because I'm, I'm just... Yeah. On Titan, I know they have... I mean, Titan... It, they found like basically oceans but they're underneath a bunch of mm. organic molecules which is really interesting mm. there's like lakes of that is so cool man that yeah. is so cool that is so cool i mean there's like found this? yeah there's like lakes of methane and stuff mm-hmm. that shows similar sort of um <laughs> i'm gonna throw out the word geomorphologies out here because um, methane is isn't methane like almost a sure sign of some kind of organic life because what produces methane if not some sort of cycle well it's certainly in 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 an organic molecule um but organic molecules are also found throughout the universe i guess yeah you don't have to be alive to be organic Mm. i guess that is true wait why not because an organic actually i guess because even a single cellular, like an organism, Wait, are rocks would still organic? be. Are rocks organic? Yeah. Uh, it depends on the rock. There are like limestones, which are formed from ancient algae. 
and oh. stuff like that that are compressed. <laughs> okay, that's really cool. Um, there's like coal, which is isn't limestone just calcium sulfate? Like, how is that? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the algae will. But algae, build. like they form around it, kind of thing. Yeah, they'll build their um, oh, okay. shells out of okay. these like calcium carbonates. Oh. Yeah. I think I've actually seen because actually because you mentioned the crystal cave and I had no idea what you were talking about and then I searched it up and I'm like oh wait I kind of went in one of these before and I, I, I and I kind of actually do remember something similar to things grow on these crystals Ooh, that's actually uh, true because the crystals yeah. have a lot of like nutrients or like something about the, mm. the walls of the cave mm. because like the water seeps through and mm. like catches a lot of the minerals that like like microbes can just like live very lavishly on the walls of the caves and I think yeah there are happen. some very interesting cave ecosystems out there i think one of the most interesting that i've come across was one i think in romania or something like that that is very deep in the earth Tell us about it. but the thing with this is that it was once exposed to the surface and and life got into it mm. and, then and it now life is still down oh. there and they've <laughs> just adapted to an environment with no light um damn that's hard so i believe that there are chemo autotrophs um down there like microorganisms that derive um their own food from um like chemosynthesis which is deriving their own sort of organic chemicals from what's down there oh damn um that's a very interesting way to make uh, make do with what you with what you have. Is it not disruptive to go and like walk around in these ecosystems, like possibly introducing like more stuff from the surface? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I don't <laughs> think that story was very good then. Yeah, me going to that cave was a bad idea. No, well, um, I don't know if you're going to introduce anything that will survive because yeah, it's not oh, adapted. Yeah. I mean, sure. maybe. That's maybe, true. But, yeah. That's kind of like putting something at. In like Mariana's trench, you know, it's kind of like <laughs> go if you want. <laughs> you might not come back. Well, if you have enjoyed these interesting conversations about physical geography and the physics of the Earth, another place that you might enjoy all of these interesting subjects is Brilliant. Go check out Brilliant.org/mpp for some pretty crazy content. Today I was searching up because, as you guys might know, we are not too familiar with this subject, so it's a little new to us, but we were looking at some interesting earth science courses that are actually all over Brilliant. So they have some courses that talk about the physics of the earth itself, just a little bit about climate here and there. So just a quick course search on the physics of the earth or really earth sciences can lead you to some pretty interesting courses on Brilliant. So if you are interested in any of this, go check it out, brilliant.org slash mpp. Mm -hmm. They have courses on like hurricanes and the water cycle and seismic events and things like that. So yeah, first 200 people get uh, 20% off their premium membership. So go to, ahead to brilliant.org slash MPP or click the link in the description. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. It's so coming back to our discussion here. Um, we were talking about a lot of like astrobiology kind of, right? Or... Mm -hmm. Would you say like astro geo? What would be the word for that? I'm not sure. Maybe maybe just sort of planetary science. Planetary science. Planetary science. Okay. That would be very general. Yeah. Yeah. Is that general. is that something that that you study a lot in your in your stream? I mean, yeah, it's come up a 
a decent amount. I took a, oh, I don't remember the course code, but it was it was called Life on Other Worlds, and it was an astronomy oh. course. Oh, AST two five one. It was an astronomy course. Yeah, I was an astronomy course here. Interesting. Um, we, oh, also, got, I don't know if we mentioned, but you you're another student at the University of Toronto. Yeah. I, I'm just remembering <laughs> that, and I don't think you mentioned that yet. So, to all our listeners out there. Another University of Toronto member here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just had to mention it. So I know you do a lot of work with um, field work, like, you know, remote oh, sensing, yeah. for example. I know you're very much into that. And because we were also talking about, you know, astro or planetary science, let's say. Uh-huh. We're talking about planetary science. I guess my question could be, in the case of remote sensing, Okay, first, first, just tell me what do you do in terms of remote sensing, and then I think I can make my question a little more specific. But let me, okay, let me yeah. just ask you. Yeah. yeah, remote sensing is also a pretty broad word. I mean, okay. it's like our eyes are doing remote sensing right now. Um, of sorts. But now we're, u- we're using a lot of times satellites, drones too, um, to measure um, radiation that may be outside of our uh, perceivable limits. Mm. and also at like spatial and temporal scales that would not really be possible and yeah that is being applied um well i I guess to to answer your question about what i do with it i mean i i use it in a lot of ways um i was researching over the summer um the role of fire in carbon and water cycling on um two patches of Amazonian forest uh, where you had bamboo growing and uh, one of these patches burned down pretty heavily in 2009 and the other one stayed alive. So we just looked at some of the biophysical um, parameters which you can measure using algorithms from remote sensing um, and we looked at some of the differences over that. Um, We learned that, um, I mean, even though a lot of times fires in the Amazon are pretty rare they're usually connected with like deforestation and farmers like burning down patches to clear land um, mm-hmm. try to re- rejuvenate the soil a little bit mm-hmm. uh, but sometimes oftentimes those will spread um, to areas of untouched forest but there was a little bit of good news in there that so far we we observed some pretty heavy resilience yeah, uh, yeah the amazon is huge and uh I mean, even though there are some fires and definitely there might be a tipping point where once those fires become sort of too much for the the vegetation there, there might be a sort of transition from a rainforest to maybe a less diverse savanna or something like that. Hmm. But um, right now we're observing a lot of resiliency in that ecosystem. Yeah, so so we could be calling it Amazon savanna soon. That's sad. <laughs> That's really sad. Yeah. That's really sad. Um, there are studies out there, too, that look at um, the composition of the forest. Um, they measure uh, the, the limits of the environment, mm. like the temperature and stuff like that, um, precipitation. They measure the limits that, like, the plants and... Can um, go. Yeah, they can mm. go. Um, and also, like, maybe if they rely on other sort of organisms... Um, and there's studies out there that look that with current climate change projections that the Amazon could be turning to into a savanna soon. So and um, there was a, a recent one um, that said that it'll probably occur pretty abrupt 
hmm. uh, more abrupt than you might think. Could and, you sorry? Could you define like the differences between uh, like the rainforest and a savanna, and like where are the defining properties of each category? Right. Usually, um, when we're defining like ecosystems like this, it's um, the climate. That's a big one. There's mm-hmm. temperature and precipitation, and the different types of vegetation that are going to be able to survive under different climate regimes are going to be different, um, mm-hmm. and then those will support an ecosystem. So the, the, the difference between a savanna and a, a rainforest really looks at the amount of trees that are around. At a rainforest, you'll have a full canopy. Um, you shouldn't really be able to see the ground, but in a savanna, you'll be able to see the ground. Uh, oh, so that's purely like because of humans. No, I mean, savannas are natural, too. Yeah, but Um, I mean, in terms of the Amazon forest, like, the reason why it's becoming a savanna is because of humans. Um, Because wildfires, I'm assuming, is not... I mean, well, it is a natural event as well, but is it... It's also being probed by human intervention, is it not? Yeah. Yeah, like I said, it's... um, Wildfires are pretty rare in the rainforest where you get rain and yeah. it's like wet so that those will put out fires and stop them from occurring in the first first place um and then there's also climate change which is making the environment more um dry arid mm-hmm. um, so yeah there are a lot of things that humans are doing to really make this problem worse and happen in the first place really <laughs> now is there any way to fix it like let me uh, it's continuing the question like the, for example the amazon rainforest is now becoming the amazon savanna so in that process is there anything that we can do from your understanding of soil science and whatnot and just microbes and organisms in that space can we not introduce again me knowing nothing about the subject can we not introduce elements to the ecosystem that can rejuvenate the system or is that just not possible like once the soil is dead it's just dead is that is that it yeah, it's a lot more difficult than just adding a few like yeah. fertilizers or something. And it's tough. A lot of times humans, in an effort to try to restore environments, they end up doing damage in other ways that maybe they didn't intend for. Really the best way to keep the Amazon a rainforest is to just leave the rainforest alone. There's a lot of positive feedback loops where um, the evapotranspiration from the plants then goes up into the atmosphere and then it's going to continue to rain down mm-hmm. somewhere else in the amazon so um if you start to make it more dry then there's less evapotranspiration less water so it's, it's becoming more dry um, mm-hmm. um through itself so it, i mean this is also where it sort of gets political because i mean probably the best way to keep the rainforest rainforest is just to conserve the area and mm. prevent deforestation mm. from happening there. Yeah, that's pretty hard, uh, unfortunately, right, today. Even, yeah, yeah, yeah. And even reforestation efforts can be very difficult. Um, you're also not really introducing the same levels of biodiversity as there were in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, natural stuff just hits different, right? Like, natural <laughs> is just different than you doing it in any way. Yeah, pretty much. There's... Mm. There's like layers of balance that um, life works to keep. But see, I think it's hard to believe that, um, I mean, I know that there might be a limit, but it's hard to believe that there even is one because in the 
you know, 200,000 years of Homo sapiens living on this planet. Now I know the last 50 years have been absolutely insane in terms of a lot of things. But I just think like civilization finds a way at the end of it. If it's not human civilization, some civilization will find a way at the end of it. Right. So, you yeah, know, nature, nature, will, it'll be okay. I mean, right. we're, we're sort of causing a, a sixth mass, mass extinction right now. But at the end of the day, like not every species is going to go extinct. I don't think really humans will go extinct, but really, I mean, I mean, <laughs> if the environment goes awry, then like, but yeah, humans are smart, man. Like we have, we have options. I do think worst that's... case scenario we have options I think I at least I hope uh, to believe a that. lot of us I hope to believe will, that. will die though yeah I mean again yeah. like that's with any well any large event because I mean I really want to get into the climate change in a second but like with any large event especially especially taking over the world like this you know it can change the way like the whole ecosystem because I'm assuming like ecosystems have lived for 200,000 no what am I saying millions of years on this earth yeah, sometimes. by them like in this way and now, in the last 50 years, we've just completely changed everything that they've lived in, right? So it's a, lo- a lot of new things for them, too, if you right. think about it. But, I mean, there's also mutations out there, and some of them yeah, of will adapt, some of them will yeah. survive, and, yeah. um, and eventually they'll recolonize, and nature finds a way. I, there's areas like like Chernobyl and everything where it was devastated mm-hmm. by um, I mean, like a nuclear disaster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then once humans were gone, nature just claimed it yeah now there's like super wolves that aren't affected by radiation well i mean i mean affected but they're affected they just they just they'll eventually well they usually just die before they'll get cancer i mean Mm -hmm. cancer is kind of a relatively new problem because humans haven't really figured out how to live this long yeah it's also like it's definitely a long-term kind of uh, disease and I'm actually learning about this in my PCL course which is pharmacology uh, we're talking about how um, like people who have like a predisposed gene to get to like basically a mutation that's passed down like it's hereditary um, they're basically one step closer to cancer than other yes. people and so usually let's say it takes like four or five steps throughout one's lifetime just being predisposed to it brings you like a quarter of the way closer to actually getting it but if we didn't have a like a lifespan that allowed for cancer to actually develop then we wouldn't be seeing it so much in you know the entire world it's just because we have a lot of time to live more than ever and so more people are just just getting this disease that comes with time yeah Yeah. and i mean it kind of shows you that Death is natural. Um, mm-hmm. Part of life. Yeah. That's the biggest part of life, right? Yeah. I'm also thinking, uh, just to, to end off, like, the, just the surveying. Because I'm, I'm, I'm always thinking about, like, okay, how can we apply this to, like, extraterrestrial planets? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was thinking about this, too. Because um, we were talking about remote sensing. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, remote sensing is being used on other places, like Mars and Venus mm-hmm. right now, where we can Like, observe. how? Like, talk about it. Like, uh, how... How is it used? Because I'm not too sure about well, I don't know. what is being done in on Mars, for example, that is getting us closer to understanding the, you know, the underlying principles like the tectonics and whatnot. Like right. what, what's what's getting us there? Well, a big thing about 
with Mars is that we're looking for water um, and um, features of water. So, uh, I mean, uh, last semester I took a course about fluvial geomorphology, which was the study of rivers and the shapes in the landscape that rivers leave. And you can see evidence of the same sort of river deltas and stuff like that on Mars. What's really interesting, I think, is that uh, on Mars we find a lot of braided rivers, and you've probably seen pictures of braided rivers where it um, sort of there's many different threads and goes in and comes back into itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll find those often in like glacial areas, um, but also on Mars. I mean, as far as we know, that there is no vegetation there. And the vegetation, the roots, you know, the mycelium of fungi, they help stabilize the soil, as we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, that gives the river um, more of a single channel, and then it can meander around that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas braided rivers are built from having a less stable mm-hmm. um, bed, and then uh, they're right. There's more. There's more chances to basically branch off. And then every branch has also another chance to branch off. But if everything is more solid, then it just kind of flows down. Because we see this on Mars, right? We see see channels. We literally see river channels. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, the recent rover that landed on there landed at a a delta, which is really interesting, where the river met an ocean. Uh, I mean, deltas are. So was there? I mean, I guess we can never really say it, but like, is this is this compelling enough evidence that there was at least? Because like, why would there be channels that mimic so closely, you know, something that would flow, like something that water would flow through if there wasn't water there? So like, is this is this kind of compelling evidence for water was once on Mars, like the seeing sea yes. channeled, or is that not enough? No, yeah, we know that there was water on Mars. Could oh, it so be it was, a different fluid? Can't. Yes, but there is evidence that it was water based on... Oh, there is evidence that it's yeah. water. Uh, there are... Um, there's water left in the rocks. Oh. Um, basically in the form of, like, hydrates. Um, mm. Also, there still is water on Mars. They have... The poles have ice caps. You'll also see on, like, the tops of some of the higher mountains, you'll see ice mm. caps. And occasionally we'll see um, sort of... The, the ice or the, the water you know, sometimes it's ice too because mm-hmm. it's cold there too mm-hmm. um, you'll see that in the soil if you take soil samples oh that's yeah. really interesting I know recently uh, something just funny because we were talking about I don't know why this hit me but um, the uh, what what's the news what's the latest I'm latest rover's name not perseverance right no what's isn't his name? it isn't uh, it perseverance so the latest rover I, I yeah. slipped up on the name there but while it was collecting rocks on Mars, like while it was collecting pebbles, it got stuck. <laughs> so like they had to. So there was like this huge thing I was reading recently. They just sent another one. No, 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 no. So the the rover is pretty advanced to a point where it is actually built to fix itself. Yeah. So what it did was it like changed a bunch of its functionality, obviously with enough delay from Earth to Mars, because we were also trying to see what was happening. And it basically tilted the camera into the system, and it's and it was it saw that it some pebbles were just blocking the like the rotor, so like it had to manually like take it. Like it was just like a really <laughs> funny thing, like the fact that you know this can also happen. But mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think about like okay, if we study these rocks and if we study these things from from these outer planets, for example, yeah. like have I mean we haven't seen any organisms on them yet, but what would we 
be like looking to find is that is that our number one thing we're looking at these rocks to find organisms or are we looking at these rocks to know what these rocks are made of so like we can say what the planet is made of well life is a very interesting thing i mean if you find life on another planet that would be game changing and i think that that is the goal of a a lot of them but i mean it's not inevitable if we keep looking that we'll find uh well, it's right now like, so, so we're we're so we're so just within our solar system right now. But the whole thing about life, no, no, because what I mean, like, there are a lot of good chances of in the solar Goldilocks system. zones to really test crazy amounts of life. But there are options. It, it's just that it's just that I just don't see how it is not possible that if this all has happened, like Homo sapiens has occurred in two hundred thousand years, and the craziness has happened in a hundred years <laughs> like literally like in the last hundred years oh, wow. 200 years maybe okay maybe that's too little let's say a thousand years versus two hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. revolutionize the world so if that much can revolutionize us i'm just thinking about a solar system that could have been born a couple billion years before ours which isn't a crazy thing to hope because our solar system was formed just four billion years ago so maybe not a couple billion because it also depends on the universe's expansion, but even a few million years ago. Imagine us in a million years. I think I have brought this up on a podcast. I'm getting a deja vu, but imagine us in a million years. Mm. So anywhere else on planet Earth, I mean, on, on other planets, like if life was just a nature thing, no, it's not because it's not like the exact amount of ingredients caused you. No, it's just nature. It just mm. happens. So if it just happens, and as you very well said, after Chernobyl too, nature just found a way. Why can't it find a way in the rest? Of, now again, this can be a very like what? Why can't it find a way in the rest of the universe? Right? There are so many yeah. planets that could be habitable. Now the argument is also made that okay, then why aren't they contact, contacting us? It's like a two way street, right? I don't know if that's about. I argument. know, of course, but I'm just giving the idea. I know that it's not a. It's a, you can't say that okay, aliens exist because they should exist. You can't say that. But I'm saying that they it, it it is highly probable that they do yeah. w- simply yeah, simply good. with how we have come to be is right. what i'm saying yeah. yeah simply as how we've come to be and also the biodiversity just on earth is yeah. like imagine yeah, other planets exactly. like can't even begin to do that we don't even know our own species like we don't even know all the species at the bottom of the earth uh, the bottom of the ocean and we're like you know trying to find new species like it's pretty crazy to me yeah yeah, um, yeah. Well, I was gonna say too, with uh, looking at them on on Mars or other exoplanets too. A lot of times you're looking for like biosignatures, mm. but then you're using the assumptions of what are biosignatures on Earth to sort right, of right, right, right. This also has yeah. This has to do with like us assuming that carbon-based life mm. is the is only the type of life. Right. I mean, there's there's a lot of valid reasons for that yeah but there's also a lot of carbon there's also a lot of things that make us i I watched this video um by science file the ai on youtube i've heard of that channel it was i think you showed me the phenomenal channel channel. if anybody's interested um but they made a video about like different types of possible life forms in the universe and one of them that i remember is like life forms that live inside of stars and they're just like they're like vibrating strings that live inside of stars 
And I don't remember life all life forms. I don't remember all of the details, but it was just some kind of hypothesis and it was really interesting. So if you know, if anyone's interested out there, you should go watch that video. And also all of all of the other videos on that channel, they're all really good. So, I mean, going with that hypothesis, that's an interesting hypothesis because what you're basically hypothesizing is that life can exist in very extreme scenarios, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and we would never know. Yeah, how we would never I, know. We how would, would we yeah, know? <laughs> how would we, exactly, exactly. Right. Like, that would... I, I mean, that's very interesting. Uh, there's a lot of astrobiologists who work to study the, what we call, like, extremophiles on Earth, mm. like, the, the microbes that live in these extreme circumstances, like under hydrothermal vents or like a stream um acidic or um, mm -hmm. saline environments mm -hmm. uh, because life still finds a way there you know maybe there's all a lot of people too that think that life first evolved there um like in mm. uh, hydrothermal vents under the ocean or something like that mm. um yeah the long-standing theory was that it was just like a warm pool of mud uh, <laughs> But now we think that it was under hydrothermal vents, which is pretty cool. That's pretty funny. Yeah, conditions of life are definitely interesting to see, right? Because again, like the whole the whole big 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 question again as we keep going to is can we can we replicate it or can we? You think no? Okay, let me just ask this question. Okay, how stupid yeah. it might be. So we understand, or at least I think we understand, the chemical composition required for life to to start. Right, okay. like yeah, like maybe. like yeah. we understand. Okay, this was the environment when cellular uh, organisms first started appearing. Right, could we make that environment? Well, there's um like an artificial environment. We're, no, no, we're living in one. <laughs> well, Stanley Miller, <laughs> but no, but I'm saying an artificial environment. But obviously, life. Right, God. Um, life forms though. Stanley Miller, he did this experiment a long time, I don't know how long ago, I think in the 70s or something, um, that was pretty revolutionary in that he tried to like recreate this initial conditions mm. of, of Earth. Mm. Um, the atmosphere was very different back then. You also had different um, just like rocks and chemicals floating around. There were a lot of organic molecules floating around. And then there was also a lot of like lightning too. So then he like uses a spark and um, in this atmosphere and like soup, basically. Um, and what he found was that there were these little like proto cells that just sort of naturally formed. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. so he he did this basically. Yeah. Oh wow. Oh wait. So wait, that's crazy. Wait. So <laughs> wait, they weren't. If we can. They do weren't that, really living. Yeah, but still, mm. though, like... they were starting to develop basic forms of metabolism and like self-containing. And this was all with the artificial environment. I think that's very powerful. Yeah. Wait, sorry. What was the names in this individual's name? Uh, Stanley Miller, I believe. Yeah. Damn, that's, that's very interesting because I'm just thinking on a larger scale. Yeah. No. Okay. Probably not. <laughs> Why? Do, do you do you want to start like a, a second ev evolutionary line? No, because I was yeah, thinking no. like literally like. Well, what um, I was thinking is you know that theory, um, 
Is it called pan panspermia? Ah, uh, yes, yeah. We could do that. Yeah, 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 <laughs> we we could start like these cultures of, of, of like basic stuff. So <laughs> just like just send like like buckets onto Mars. And just, <laughs> <laughs> like, on Mars right? I'm saying we can create that and splash it on like, Mars and see what happens. Check up on them in a hundred. Yeah. Like a billion years or something, maybe they'll maybe they'll evolve multi. That would have been insane. Yeah, that would uh, be crazy, and all because of this art artificial thing, right? So like, how how realistic is making a macro version of this mini environment? Well, I'm you're Yeah, probably very hard. Yeah, probably very hard because you would have to generate. But, but what's wrong, like ethically? Well, tr- Mars right now is treated kind of similar to Antarctica. Yeah, where. Um, like you're not allowed to leave anything on the Antarctica, really. If you like try to like hike, like you have to like contain everything, and that includes like your poop. Like you can't really leave your poop behind because that can leave microbes and um, stuff like that. Because it's a highly research. Right, they're place. just trying exactly. to keep it exactly pristine. But like a couple of poops, you know <laughs> what I mean? Right, but you leave a couple of poops on Antarctica or Mars or something like that, and then someone else comes along, a scientist looking at the organisms that are on here, and right. then they wonder, no, was this here in Antarctica or was this here in Mars, or like originally, yeah. or was this here because of humans? That's true. No, but obviously that's not now. Like we're we're not gonna create that environment now. I'm saying like later when we're like comfortable with okay, let's be a multi-planetary species. Well, then that doesn't matter. No, but like I'm saying, if we are trying to make our first attempt at becoming right. a multi-planetary species, we're not gonna have the rule anymore of not leaving anything on another planet, right? Because that defeats the whole purpose of trying to become a multi-planetary <laughs> species. Like you think when uh, SpaceX goes to Mars, they're just not gonna like they're obviously gonna they're gonna dig things up there. They're gonna you know probably leave things there too. So. A lot of these rules are probably going to be broken once we're like, okay, let's take the first steps to try and do this thing. Well, I mean, yeah, if you're taking the first steps, then would you put the the building blocks and stuff there, or would you try to like maybe bioengineer an organism? To I think the idea is uh, Elon Musk is pretty pretty smart because he is, or or not he, but SpaceX, I should say, because uh, the the Raptor engines on the uh, on the DFR on the, on the rocket ship are are methalox engines so like they use methane okay. and methane can be extracted from the surface of Mars so the idea is that you are going to refuel by simply plugging yourself into the into the planet so there are some ideas of how do we you know take advantage of where we are but i don't think there's any definitive thing okay we're gonna leave this we're gonna make this i don't think there's anything like that yet <laughs> of course right now it's only hey let's just get there but that's the first thing. So they they still have some ideas about, you know, how to exploit whatever we have. Exploit's the wrong word, but take advantage of the situation. You know, the fact that there's no other life there and we have all say in it basically, right? Because there's going to come a point where we're going to have to make a decision like, hey, there are 15 billion people on this planet. Like, where do we go? You know, there are just too many people. That's like never going to happen, actually. There's never going to be a point no, where we're overpopulated. No, like uh, population modelers out there have uh, done their research yeah. and uh yeah. apparently it's gonna stabilize at 10 billion yeah a lot of people have said that mm-hmm. i think i actually now i know you mentioned that no i actually do remember mm-hmm. something about stabilizing population but yeah. and something well, about I, africa mm-hmm. be- becoming the most populated continent yeah africa is growing very fast right yeah. now um i mean i so i study environmental biology too which is um 
looking at like ecosystems and whenever you look at sort of a, a species sort of exploiting a new niche and mm-hmm. like humans are exploiting a niche that we've sort of constructed for ourselves right now um the environment still has a caring capacity i mean we can only grow so much food for everyone you know yeah. um there are other sort of mechanisms that keep the population in check like disease as we have like globalized mm. society i mean we're seeing Pandemics. this right now Pandemics. yeah <laughs> um there there's other many other ways that we, we have like keep ourselves in check um what is it vertical farming stuff like that that helps yeah also like cutting down like transport just like having like buildings filled with plants just so it's like local farming oh yeah i mean there's a lot of advantages to that that would be great but i don't know you know it's tough to avoid the 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 soils you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah true yeah the only problem is right now there are too many other things as well that affect because the problem with like taking anything away or scaling something up or scaling something back is that they're scaling this thing back will cause so many other things to scale back or scale up and some somewhere along their line like it won't work so like the to bring this so i i guess i guess it does actually kind of make sense that okay there would be a theoretical limit to how many we can obviously serve and also like there are also we have i think we're moving to non-renewables i mean renewables by like 2035 or something so i think there are a lot of there are a lot of initiatives to take it to the next step. Now, will it happen? Probably not. <laughs> the next prime minister and the president are going to just keep pushing it. But yeah, I <laughs> like it doesn't really make sense to talk about politics on this podcast. But I have so much to say about like mm. the democratic system. Mm, let's <laughs> not. Let's not. But anyways. Yeah. And I think renewables, I mean, obviously it's like great, kind of better than non-renewables of course that's the point uh, of it but like the, the emissions of, of co2 just mm. we have because i start. have read a lot about you know renewables being better in use but like not as good in the making like there's it, like there's a lot of cons with that too right there's that right? there's i mean they will probably eventually like um make up for it mm. there's there's also like i um, from a physical geographer's standpoint here, there's ways that building just a field of solar panels or like a field of wind turbines is going to mess up the environment. And um, It's going to mess up the environment. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're changing the way that the radiation balance between like the sun and the earth uh, on these like massive solar fields where they're just absorbing some radiation. So then you're going to affect the climate in some ways. <coughs> Um, since there's less I guess that's right. System. There are a lot of these things that affect that. Um, a really good idea the, is solar roadways, though. Replacing asphalt with solar panels. Mm-hmm. Like rugged solar panels. Yeah, I mean, that would make good use of some space. Aren't solar panels used. delicate, though? Um, yeah, you have like a covering, like a hard shell, but then like underneath, like a transparent mm. thing that the cars can roll on. Right. It's I not impossible. We've literally gone to the moon. I think we can make solar panels I mean, that cars. We can- literally made a road that charges a car while it's driving. Okay. So even like we, yeah. Even no, more. I'm not saying it's not possible. I was just thinking yeah. about how it could be possible. 
Yeah. Because the thing, the whole thing with like renewable, non renewable, like that's the thing. Like people don't understand. Like the the small picture is not what you're looking at. Because like when you when you when you pose the idea non-renewables versus renewables or whatnot or like if you're investigating something you're mainly investigating okay just this specific like how does how does the use of non-renewables compare to the use of renewables and in that sense you're like obviously renewables are better i'm going to give an analogy or an example right now with electric cars and gasoline cars you know you're, you're just looking at the use and you're like electric is so much better than gasoline but then you look at the process of actually making these cars and all of a sudden, you have electric cars being so much worse than gasoline cars. Mm. And if you total them up, electric cars are, I, I mean, obviously, the percentage is growing every year as we're getting better and better at making batteries. But I believe a couple of years back, it was just 5 to 10% more environmentally efficient. I think it was less than 5 actually, that's, to own an electric car. Good. But the point that I'm making is that it's not like 95% more efficient than it's not like, like that's what I'm saying. It's not going to completely change what we do because the process of making the battery, the making of the battery takes up and puts so many pollutants in the air. Also, that it's basically like driving a gasoline car. Like cars themselves aren't even that big of an issue. I mean, at macro scales. I think they become an no, issue. No, I'm talking about... When 5 billion people have a car... Okay, I'm maybe talking not, about you know if, you, if you look at all the contributors to right. greenhouse gases, yeah. cars okay. are not the biggest problem. I'm just com- not, I was giving no. an example by comparing yeah, but I'm saying, electric and like, gas to renewable and non-renewable and like, simply saying that people are looking at the small picture. That's right, what I'm when saying. I'm saying like you're complaining about how electric cars are only 10% more efficient but it's like okay well why don't we look at cows and be like look how yeah I was gonna say there's no, but agriculture I'm just, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just looking at things that people are not understanding fully is what I'm saying that's all I'm that's all I'm exploring yeah, yeah I, agriculture is probably a bigger emitter of yeah, yeah for sure. I think it is I think cows are yeah, the biggest I think, I think emitters cows. of methane in the end yeah, right. I'm pretty cows, sure it's cause they're they're just not really they're integrated farts, they fart they, they actually burp. Uh, I, I swear it was cow farts that are crazy. It's, I'm pretty sure it's, it's the farts it's too. The burps. It's the burps too. It's most of the burps. Most of the burps. Most I swear it was the farts. Uh, this is a really weird conversation. I, I swear it was the farts. I swear it was. That the is. Farts. It is. That's a, a good clue. Um, yeah, cows are just put up in these pens. Um, they're fed and they just like live around on like dirt mm. and. Mm-hmm. If these cows were actually allowed to be a, a bigger part of the ecosystem, like farm, some farmers try to incorporate grazing into their techniques, where they like might designate a part of the field for cow grazing one day, and then another part another day. Um, that that might actually be some beneficial because you're as they're pooping on the ground, they're fertilizing it, um, and then the the carbon cycle is allowed to continue mm. in a cycle. Um, whereas when they're just put in pens, mm. um, the methane just builds up in the atmosphere. So we're just them. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also yeah. the energy sector where we are taking like coal and oil and um, like just past organic um, life and just burning it and putting it into the atmosphere pretty directly. But again, like the, the whole conversation with all of this is that, especially when we're talking about direct climate change, like conversations like, okay, can we reduce this? Can we add this? Like, again, not too much research, but like I have dabbled in a video or two, but can we really, like, it, have we reached the point of no return? Is that point yet to come? 
or have we just completely blown past it? Yeah, that's a tricky question. Yeah, it's a tricky. Question. I guess also define it's how you define the point, but right. it keeps changing based but... on our understanding though of environments. It seems like they eventually reach like they show some resiliency. Mm-hmm. And then they eventually reach a tipping point where it's too much, and then they switch over to another sort of ecosystem. So what's exact? So what is what is going to happen in the future of what we're doing right now? Like I just I just remembered, yeah. whenever I think of climate change, I think of this one graph that we saw in astronomy, where it was like the last like some five hundred thousand years of like the climate right. of and the you earth, see the, the fluctuations and then like the, the last twenty years just whoo just skyrockets upwards or no i think it's the carbon emission i think the greenhouse emissions okay. of the earth and it's and they were yeah. talking about like how it goes in a cycle and how in like the yeah. last hundred like 50 hundred years it's just skyrocketed out of proportion compared yeah. to literally the last million years yeah so the whole thing is like where where are we gonna stop like because yeah. where because Every every day, every year that we keep going is a year that we can't get back, and a year that we can't really stop on. Because how do we yeah. just we, we just stop feeding these many people? We just cut down on how many people eat. Like we're like what do we like? There's no one thing that we can do, right? Right, and I feel like a lot of people are just sort of banking on some sort of carbon sequestration technology that doesn't really exist right now. I Elon mean. Musk has a um, a a. He this was a this was a very recent Twitter thing not very recent but it was a recent Twitter thing where he was like uh, he's gonna give like a hundred thousand or a hundred million or some large amount six billion six billion <laughs> six billion dollars to carbon capturing technology. Right. Oh, no, I was talking about the world hunger uh, thing. Oh yeah, not the hunger thing. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Not billion. I don't know. It might be okay. billions. He probably has that much to spend anyways. But it was some very large amount. What are you to, talking about? Yeah. So on on Twitter he actually said, um, I will give this grant or this prize basically to the number like to the person who messages me or like tells me the best way to or like the best setup for carbon capture technology now that doesn't exist yet and he's actually going to fund one and i believe he actually did fund a um i believe he actually did fund an organization or like a group or whatever that did send him a thing for carbon capture technology that basically will capture the carbon from the atmosphere yeah and i don't want to say that it doesn't exist i because I think it does exist right now, in some. I don't some, think it does, but I think I think there are some. You think? I don't know. I technologies that exist that aren't that just they don't sound sustainable. Mm. Um, I mean, I think that's the whole thing that it's not sustainable. So I think his whole thing was that hey, get right. in with me and I'll actually you know invest in making it sustainable or at least in the I best think, way possible. I think some of these like carbon capture technology ideas are. Do you think uh, that's not of, possible? You, you think I think it's just short-sighted. Not... Why are you trying to look into technologies when the technology is already there? Life has already Words. evolved ways oh, million to capture carbon. Um, yeah. Exactly. Plants, trees, um, fungi too. Um, it's in, it's plankton, I'm sure. Um, so uh, the solution is, is there. It's just, and we've, we've known that they, they capture carbon, mm-hmm. but there's just not the motivation or like want. Oh shit! I don't know. It was it was some uh, it was four students and two teachers from IIT Bombay, like the uh, University yeah. of Mumbai, won a two hundred fifty thousand dollar grant at the Sustainable Innovation Forum at Glasgow, and they were basically posed to develop a technology that can remove carbon from the atmosphere. Right. It was with the X Prize with Elon Musk's thing or whatever. So this was probably like a portion of the whole thing. I don't exactly know how the 
finance part of it works. But I just think it's interesting, and you don't. Right. So I'm interesting in it. Yeah, it's interesting I mean, to hear that. It's interesting to hear that. I like nature has found a pretty good way to yeah. to capture the carbon, and I think that like whatever we try to do, I can try to approach that. But ultimately, like, I'd be asking like, how much energy is this requiring, and mm. like where's that energy coming from? But we can't just keep doing what we're doing, right? Like we can't just keep going, and we're just like, yeah, nature will find a way. Nature will find it. Like like we can't just keep saying, okay, Earth will do it. Like, there has to be a certain point where, like, okay, we are messing this place up. Right. The earth, at this point, just can't do enough. Like, there has to be that point. Like, you know, there has to be a certain point where afterwards, nature just, like, there's just too much intervention. Or there's, or, or does that point not exist? What do you think? Does that point just not exist? Or well, is it just look, a look. human, or just a human part of this system will just die right. out? It is kind of like a human problem. Maybe. Yeah. Right? I mean... Unless, like, we sort of grant some, like, inherent value to nature itself. Mm. But, I mean, a lot of these problems are sort of human. Um, you are right. Because, like, the ecosystems. Yeah. Right, yeah. The ecosystems themselves provide a lot of services to us. Uh, like, we don't appreciate it, though, man. We don't. We don't, we don't appreciate don't. that. We don't. They're, like, if you just look around your house right now, like, the, like all these products came from nature at one point right like the ecosystem provided them to you and they provide fresh like um, clean water air um uh like there's so many va- so many benefits to having um these ecosystems and once they started switching over to maybe less productive ecosystems that's kind of start affecting a lot of people mm. um and uh, oftentimes it's there are inequalities and in, like the people that it affects you know um so yeah that's i think that's as far as i say yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's a sad world out there yeah. all we can say right now we just gotta hope that uh, you know we're making the right decisions along the way right. i mean it's not really again unfortunately it's at the point where you and i just can't really do anything right it's all up to like the billion dollar corporations you know <laughs> to be like okay let's scale down but will they do that probably not but that's Climate change isn't even the only environmental problem mm. going on. Right Tell now. us some other big ones. Well, it's just, it's just one of many. There's a lot of land use changes that are just as important, if not more important. Like the ones that we were talking about with um, agriculture. Mm. And that's causing, like a lot of times, that's causing land degradation. Mm. And um, you're accelerating that um, ecosystem um, like transition from being more productive to less productive. Um, so yeah, land use change is one of them. There's invasive species that humans are introducing to new areas. And mm. a lot of times too, that's with agriculture because you're not necessarily planting native plants mm. uh, and crops and uh, raising native um, like uh, farm animals. Mm. Um, so invasive species are causing a lot of issues in um, different environments. Um, let's see. I saw this post on Instagram, so I don't know how credible it is, but um, in Florida, there was this bill that was passed that said something like, um, like construction companies aren't allowed to use scientific data to like consider the rise of the ocean in their, in their plans to make buildings. Yeah. 
I just, want. I don't know. <laughs> just cause. So, it's just bad. Yeah, it is just bad. <laughs> in Florida, because a certain governor is in charge of a lot of things, <laughs> um, the use of some words such as sea level rise and climate change are sort of banned from mm. a lot of government discussions. That's really sad. <laughs> That's really sad because obviously yeah. Florida is incredibly low lying and mm. we're seeing more frequent flooding of areas like Miami. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's just, it just sounds so ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, how can they not have access to that kind of data? Like, I just feel like that's No, just, they have access or to they, it. They, they choose use, not yeah, that's to. That's just, that's just ridiculous yeah. to me. Like, again, I think, again, this also, this all plays on just the human psychology. Because I think a lot of this is just, like, how much will... It's also, like, a little bit of ignorance. Because I think people want to be ignorant. Because it's nice to be ignorant. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. So, it's like, you kind of know it's a thing, but you're not actively involved. Because then you actually have to do something with it. So you're just like, yeah, it's there, but I'm not really, you know. This I mean. the situation it's... is actually very similar to the movie Don't Look Up. Oh yeah, no kidding. Where it's like, <laughs> Don't Look Up was about. This is what I, I love to tell my friends wow. about this movie because that movie was literally about climate change. Like the meteor in that movie. Like if you watch a lot of Netflix things, a lot of like how they talk behind the scenes, it's literally supposed to. It's it's it's, it's literally supposed to be analogous to the climate change movement and the whole right. thing that's happening right now, basically, because the, it's just trying to show that, Hey, there comes a certain point where people are not believing scientists and that's a problem. Right. So it just, it just kind of dabbles with that issue, which I think is really interesting, but uh, very, very similar to the, to the don't look up situation. Very nice movie too. Yeah. Um, I mean, environmental sort of sciences can be very complex and hard to understand for some people. Um, especially because you deal with scales from like as small as like cells and atoms and stuff like that to mm-hmm. um then like the whole earth um so i mean it covers a wide range of scales that a lot of people just don't understand and can't really wrap their head around mm-hmm. and they just sort of shut it out and they don't, don't believe that we can cause as much environmental change as we can because really. you know the earth just seems so massive i don't think like to me that's like not even in question that like are we able to cause this much damage like obviously <laughs> obviously we are it's it's about like controlling it you know like i can't i can't imagine someone being like like the earth is just too big we can do whatever we want and no consequences will ever apply you know? yeah it's very short-sighted it also like really ignores a lot of the civilizations that have preceded us like we learned about in that gtr course that we were talking about mm-hmm. where um like if you look at so many past civilizations that have succeeded in um sort of conquering the land you know like using irrigation and other methods to, like really take advantage of the land mm-hmm. and the ecosystem around there usually they overexploited that and that caused the end of mm-hmm. um or sometimes it was just nature, you know, because nature is very powerful. Mm. Yeah, colonies can end very easily. Just nature takes care of it. Yeah. Nature takes care of it. Yeah. I think that's a nice stopping point. Any? Uh... I was I was just gonna say I'd be pretty excited if like there was some like natural disaster that like it was just unavoidable. Oh my! Would happen. 
what you're such a pessimist oh my god <laughs> why would you why would you want that <laughs> no because i just think that like if you think about the average like 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 how, do, how what do you think on average how conscious is somebody about like making good decisions that will like help the earth right probably not that good yeah, but that doesn't mean you kill them. okay no but no but what i'm saying what i'm saying is that literally half of the population is under that average okay so i think it's a definitely like a net positive if like some crazy thing happens like a meteor hits the earth and then like we just get a nice reset <laughs> <laughs> such a messed up way of looking at it but, like, mean, it is a way like if it's unavoidable then like it's unavoidable like why is it messed up to say no but to that, hope like, that that happened I didn't say it okay, I didn't hope, say sorry. I hoped you didn't say hope sorry sorry but to say that I that, said it would be nice <laughs> saying that well, it's pretty good that's, that's kind of tough I don't know about that <laughs> I mean but I feel like a lot of people are like nowadays are just trying to say like oh maybe I just won't have kids you know, yeah there's a lot of that yeah going. i mean that's kind of in the same line right thought. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, like, it's not, like, that's not even good though because that's just increasing the population of the old people in the earth that's literally what's happening every year and that's just so bad no, but like if you think about it like realistically if there was a meteor coming towards the earth that we couldn't stop then like there's no reason to be sad about it it's like whatever right like because it's out know. of your control i mean we have a lot of defenses i mean to be honest like no, we can it, stop but i, I but get it, your point but, but if we can't like, stop it if we can't no, stop what it. i'm saying is like yeah i'm gonna die one day anyways what like, what, like what am i gonna be sad for you know I mean, you don't have to be sad like, just oh. the end okay okay i think you i think you got to think a little bigger you're you're thinking like you and me and how will you no think i'm and, thinking yeah bigger, so biggest civil, picture okay okay so I'm biggest thinking, picture i think it's biggest picture not, there's nothing to be sad about it's you know it's if in fact it's pretty cool it's like a, it's like it the pandemic it doesn't happen yeah, like, like very often at all so we get to experience that i mean the pandemic literally wiped out like millions of people so that's all right I'm we're gonna end it right now. Uh, wow that's dark <laughs> <laughs> it was a little dark no. um any yeah. comments <laughs> um yeah i don't know if i necessarily support that sort of line <laughs> i will say though that it it just sort of saddens me to see like a demise of the species that have so much potential. evolved along with us. You know, they've been here for oh. billions. Yeah, never mind. Never mind. Oh, Sorry. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they do have potential to go on and speciate into new lineages and everything. But I, yeah. I feel like bigger picture wise, like just the, the inherent biodiversity of the Earth is pretty beautiful. And it's just it saddens me every time that like humans drive another species to extinction. Yeah, man. Seeing like those uh, endangered species on like the wildlife channel, like I remember ten years back or fifteen years back, like when I was much younger. Okay, maybe not fifteen. No way, I remember that. But a long time ago, I remember watching like Nat Geo where they were talking about endangered species, and literally like last year, my mom and I, like we were, I don't know where again. I can't even remember the context, but I remember looking at this animal that was now extinct, and I'm like, damn. That just ha- damn yeah yeah, yeah it like happens that's... all the time i mean 
there are some it's, and no but the thing is that it happens because of us and that's yeah. what's sad it's not that it just happens because of nature because if that was it i right. mean that would still be sad but like that's just right. that's just how it is yeah. but we yeah. are pushing these organ these we've, organisms right. we've had this conversation Ow. before but like no what i'm about to say oh. is that us pushing species out of existence is natural yeah it is a natural yeah. process because it happened it does happen like it like it like it happens so if it's not natural then what is it like it's not like a lot of times though i will say it probably can be prevented and i mean credits to humans because we have prevented a lot of species from going extinct Mm. too because of a lot of conservation efforts like Mm -hmm. pandas Mm. but uh, there's also a lot of bias in there too because humans found pandas cute enough yeah. to save you know <laughs> see, um, no, see that's that's the whole thing like how you, that's so that's so ridiculous there's man. a lot that's of so bias in biology towards like mm. you know things that are like, kind of cute more human like yeah. you know that's why i'm interested in like plants and the fungi and yeah. stuff that are more alien you know <laughs> i mean that is yeah fungi fungus is like so crazy but yeah, like the whole thing is- like, like speaking of animals though what's cool is that there's not really a reason why humans are or should be the only intelligent life form on earth you know i mean dolphins okay but what i'm saying is that like is that like there could be a situation somewhere in the universe where like just two intelligent like like uh where are those called no you know Mm. like when you start a video game and you need to choose like a like elf or orcs you know oh, it's like okay it's okay. kind of like world of warcraft okay. on, <laughs> on, okay, so it's on like, that planet yeah, so it's like know? coexisting species so, inter- so, like, or, if like, species. or if you've seen like bojack horseman where there's like the all the animals like they just live like on the same planet but they like talk to each other mm. you know yeah so like it's coexisting like, intelligent species basically yeah that would be kind of cool that'd be very interesting what it's kind of like it, like, especially if humans like where to um, maybe evolve with them later. Like if uh, like octopuses suddenly got sentient, yeah. like very sentient or something like that. I feel like we'd stop that very quickly. The U.S. All right. would be all over that. <laughs> we even need to change things up a little bit. We even need to like go into every aquarium and like free every octopus and then really consider every other species. I really don't that. think that would happen, <laughs> to be honest. Right, because how can, how can a species that would like, Gain sentience along with us. View like any of our actions yeah, is like yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, how can we just sort of like keep these animals in like yeah prisons? Dare I say it? Because they look just funny. For, just for our own entertainment. Yeah, because they look. I mean, I I, I, mean, too, I think I think all of that is just a way of saying that we humans own this place. That's just a way of saying that. I think. So, well, no, that, no, no, I think it's like more of a curiosity thing because back in the day, not saying that this is good, but like human zoos were a thing just because people yeah. like like white people have never seen black people before and they'd go to the human zoo and see. Was that a thing? Yeah, that was yeah, a thing. Or like, that was a thing. Seeing people wow. with like deformities and weird mutations. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, literally. Wow. Literally. They got paid well. So like it's. Okay. That was terrible. Oh, no. <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> like the the sad part is, I That's the whole joke. That's the whole joke. That's the whole joke. Pretty dark episode. Oh my. Okay. 
yeah, every time I try to like confer a little bit of like hope, you know, for environmentalism. Mm. <laughs> sorry, this are dying. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a sad scenario. That's a very I never I never knew human zoos were a thing though. Like that's terrible. That'd be yeah, sure, terrible. Sure. But no, that, so that is straight that up is curiosity. Okay. Then that's not just. Yeah. I mean, no, but I don't know though because I think I still think that that is a way of saying, hey, we own this planet. In in that context, the white people own this planet. Or in your right. case, I don't know where zoos white. Be, what, what was the zoo like? Was that the zoo? Like white people are. Is that was that the situation? Because I have yeah. no idea what. The, okay, so in, in that situation, I'm assuming it was that the white people were like, "Hey, we own this planet. We own you. So we're gonna do this to you." I don't think. So. I, don't, I don't think. That I was think that was more of it. Yeah, you know, I mean, again, not that either of us can ever really know, but I'm saying I just think that at that point, especially if you were to have like a deformed human being, that, that that's not a curious thing. That's just I, I don't know. Actually, it could be a curious. I don't know. I think so. Yeah, but isn't isn't just this this whole like concept and everything? So like human sort of centric, human ego driven, yeah. right? Yeah. Where I feel like as a society that is sort of awakening as we are right now to sort of environmental change and stuff like that, mm. uh, I feel like we'll probably move away from. We need to move away from this like human ego driven yeah. sort of standards. Um, yeah. to get out of this sort of anthropocene that we're in it would be really cool to find out that like our local spot in the universe is really just some like prison you know just like one cell in a prison like in, we in a, are all like we are the animals in the zoo kind of thing yeah. yeah you know like 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 what we know as the observable universe is just a, one cell out of many cells in, mm. in a big prison where it's just like you know it's an idea. This well, is, the, like, I mean, there could be like higher dimensional or some beings that we can't even perceive that are constantly looking. Or down maybe, on us. maybe the universe is the prison and our minds are the cells. Oh, there you go. There you go. Uh, there you go. Oh, that was that was big. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so connecting this back to uh, <laughs> geophysical. I don't think that's happening. <laughs> No, but I think that was definitely a very, very apt conversation. I mean, we were still talking about the climate and whatnot yeah, and how yeah, that still sure. changes with, you know, the environment changing, really. I, yeah, I mean, I don't need, I don't know if you need to go as far as to say, like, the earth is a prison, but kind of saying <laughs> that, that the... <laughs> in essence, that kind of Kind of saying, though, that the earth is in itself, like, just a bigger sort of... <laughs> it's like a bigger scale of life right yeah. like you have um, yeah, the at the smallest alive. scale you have a cell and then you have sort of multicellular organisms and then communities i mean for every like human cell in our body there's like microbes there's a micro yeah cell. like if you don't um, want to admit that the earth is alive it's then, a community like, what is your body it's a community you know right? the entire like, body is the same thing yeah right yeah it's just another scale of it exactly is there a bigger scale than the Earth, though? That would be oh. an interesting question. Do you, does a solar system count? Um, maybe. Because like, there's. I think the planet is a good. Is a good end there, maybe, yeah. but maybe there is a bigger scale that we're not able to perceive. You yeah. Know? Like maybe like this part of the galaxy that we're in is like more fertile or in some way. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But these ideas have been proposed before. That would yeah. be cool. That would actually be cool to find yeah. out. That like this this like super cluster is more prone 
to like Goldilocks planets than mm, other superpowers. I don't know why that would be true though, or how we I mean, why, find that out. Why is it true that the Earth is how it no, is? No, because I no, because I'm just thinking just probability wise. Like if you find solar systems everywhere, wise. yeah, probability wise, if you just find solar systems everywhere, the chance that there's a, at least one planet in the Goldilocks zone, it's relatively there. You know, it's relatively there. We find I, almost every single, yes. <laughs> almost I think almost every single planetary system we've observed, I could be wrong about this, by the way, but nearly has a planet in the Goldilocks zone. That's the whole origination of the Kepler planets. You know, the Kepler 500,000 Kepler planets that we have. So that's the all origination of Goldilocks planets, you know, potential habitable zones. So technically... We have no real, I mean, all our evidence right now, or just statistically speaking, we, we observe a few systems here and there. We can just broaden it out onto a sample. Obviously, there's a large error of uncertainty because we have not really seen other systems. But right. just with observation, we can actually tell that a lot of stars, like using a thing called, um, I, forgot, I, I forgot what it's called, but it was like the transitory motion of like yeah. planets around stars. You can, and if you're if you're observing a star through a telescope, you can. And are you talking about like watching the dimming of the star? Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah. So by watching the dimming of the star, you can tell basically how far the planet is away from that star and the period the period of that planet around the star. So that basically can tell you all the information about hey, is it a Goldilocks planet or is it not? Right, and you know? what what I, I think too is that like these these habitable zones are like I said earlier, kind of built on a lot of the assumptions of like life on earth and mm. what we know can survive. But That's like, also true. Goldilocks zones are based off of, knows. yeah. What, and even like when you look at like Venus, maybe it's like a little bit close on that side of the habitable zone, but maybe there are sort of layers in the atmosphere that are more habitable to like recognizable life forms because mm. like maybe the temperatures and upper mm. layers are a little bit less. It's a little bit less extreme. Mm-hmm. You're right, actually. Right, like there's there's a lot of complicated factors involved with just mm-hmm. figuring out if the planet is habitable, even by our standards. Even by our standards, yeah, that's that's a big one, man. If we find life, forget the fact that we find life. Like if it's something that's not with our understand, like that would, my God, can't right. even imagine what that would introduce. Right. I mean, like the search for like extraterrestrial, like life and intelligence out there is very cool, but. Uh, I mean, being a citizen of planet Earth here, I feel like there's a lot left here to study and to take mm. care of. But, you know, before we started, like, going out trying to colonize mm. everything. Man, mm. we need to find an alien. Like, I mean, colonization... Some guy needs to come here. I feel like colonization is a very, like, short-term problem, though. Cause once solution. You, I mean, solution. Problem. Problem. Cause well, like, oh, cause like, I thought you were going to say, like... Once you colonize a solar system, like... It suddenly slows down by a lot, you know, hmm. like the rate at which colonization has increased since like people started walking from city to or, like tribe yeah. to tribe all the way till now. Like once you colonize the solar system, the amount of time it's going to take to go from one solar system to the next and actually be able to colonize it is going to be mm. vast, like, like exponentially. That's why very or exponentially longer. Yeah, exactly. that's why we need. That's why we need wormholes. Yeah, that's why we need wormholes. Right. Maybe no, even I, more. Maybe factorially no, larger. No, 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 like, it's a lot. It'll of be course, because like I mean, the closer they, I mean, we can we can reach things like oh my god, I forget this. How many days was Mars? I forget. But Mars is eight months. No, but oh yeah, nine days was the moon then. 
or three days. Anyway, days we can cool. reach a lot of these places in our solar system well within a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the far out planets, but well within a lifetime. Yeah. And anything farther out, like we have the closest star to us, Proxima Centauri, is 4 billion light years away. Right. <laughs> like, so, like, I don't like, know if I necessarily believe that it'll take exponentially longer to get there, though, because maybe there will be like paradigm shifts along the way that will cut that maybe, down. Maybe, but like there are some things that we think we know very well. Like, So you don't think the there's going to be, no, <laughs> you know? be any advancements that are like rocket tech? Mm. Even, I don't know. Even if we go the speed of light. Like, no, well, still... then you have time dilation on your side. If you're actually traveling that fast, which we can't, we're going to be dilating our time, so we're okay. Okay. You know what I mean? But anyways, <laughs> that, that, that fast is impossible because nobody's traveling at relativistic speeds. <laughs> I'm saying you're not really dilating your time anyways because you're okay. not traveling that fast. Even at that, like, the amount of time it's going to take for us to, like, break 1% the speed of no, light of course, is going to be course. crazy. No, but I'm saying there's... There's definitely a solution. There's definitely something because again, wait, one percent the speed of light. Have we done that? Is like Voyager one going one percent the speed of light? Is it going like seventy thousand kilometers per hour? Per second? I don't know. Per hour seems way too slow. Per second? Yeah, that that makes a little more sense. Maybe a quick Google would help. Um, but yeah, so that would only be with relativistic speeds. But that's why I keep saying. And I've mentioned this, I keep mentioning this on the podcast because I love to talk about wormholes. Oh, but like 17 kilometers per second. Yeah. So literally the like the math exists, you know, the math of this pro of, of this object in the universe exists. We just need to know how to make it or how to construct it or how to find it. <laughs> so we need to know a lot of things. But I'm saying 500 years from now, like when we colonize the solar system, maybe even more, I don't know, maybe less. I don't know what our time is like. But in any amount of time that we do that, I'm definitely assuming that by the time that we're able to get to the outer outer planets, like within, you know, a lifetime or so, like within a decent amount of time, we would hopefully have the technology able to maybe not create a wormhole, but at least understand. Oh, no chance. Why why, why are you just completely saying no to this? Wormholes were literally proven less than a hundred years ago by Einstein. Okay, maybe just about a hundred years ago by Einstein. You're saying in like a thousand years, like five hundred years, we'll have no more information than what we do right no, now. In five hundred years, we'll easily have like been to the outer planets. You think? Yes. Think about five hundred years ago, where we were. <laughs> yeah, but think about five hundred years ago from there. That's what I'm saying. It's so exponential that you can't exactly. really compare. Exactly. So will it continue? To be at this rate, because that would be insane. Probably. That would be crazy. Unless there's there's some fundamental limit, but we're still discovering things. No, we're still discovering things, but like to be able, I mean, regardless, like even if we get to the outer planets, like I'm saying, there's going to be hopefully some kind of more understanding of, because what other thing can we, I mean, unless again, there's just something apart from a wormhole and going fast that can get you a place, (laughs) unless unless there's something else. What else is there? What's the other option? The only other option is to have a shortcut throughout space. Like, that's the only thing. And the shortcut is a wormhole. And again, right now, it just seems so out of proportion because we don't even know what it could perceivably look like or how to place one or how to even think of one. But on paper, it exists. So given the right conditions again, you know, a mini wormhole. I'm telling you, man, give it 200 years, microscopic wormholes will be a thing. They'll be like, 
the, like the first instance of a wormhole will be like transitioning particles from like the same part in the lab just from here to here here to here like particles are going to go in and come out like that's going to i'm sure that's going to that's how they're going to start it with like microscopic wormholes and then just trying because even right be now because quantum because be quantum teleportation right now exists but can you teleport now <laughs> no of course not right so like that's what i'm saying so the, it might take some time but the understanding okay when you start talking you know, about quantum though that's very different no no, no but i'm just trying to give the ex okay yes you're completely right because quantum processes are different but i'm simply saying just the analogy just the example you know like when you're taking one thing you're just making it into a lot so like you can probably have a similar idea of something in the future. What I'm basically trying to describe is how we're going to invent wormholes. So I have no, <laughs> no knowledge of what I'm speaking of. I'm just speaking as a, this is an idea, mm. right? But I just think that because you're right, like how fast can we really go, right? The only option to really colonize other solar systems, if that is an option in the, in the future of the human civilization. Or if that's even a goal. Or if that's even a goal, you're right. Maybe, maybe we're just happy living here. Mm. You know, maybe the Earth is sufficient. Right. Uh, yeah. Like I mean, we were saying earlier that there's, there's a lot of things right with the Earth, and even if you do go out and try to colonize other planets, moons, or exoplanets mm. and stuff, um, then then like how do do we have to like terraform the whole um, planet? A lot of questions. Something? Yeah. A lot of questions. A lot of questions. Yeah. Well, that was an amazing conversation. I actually really liked that. I think I uh, had a few laughs there. Um, yeah. Spoke about some really interesting things. Yeah. Spoke about some things that I really did not know, like zoo camps, human zoos. <laughs> oh, okay. That's, the, That's the one thing I'm taking. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, thank you, Brett, as always, for uh, coming on this podcast. It was lovely to have you here. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was, that was very nice of you that you guys yeah. had me. It is no issue. Of course. Um, if and you then, enjoyed listening to this oh, podcast, make sure to follow us wherever you're listening to this or go on YouTube and hit subscribe. We have a discount code in the description if you want to get a book at World Scientific, 25% uh, off. Go oh. check that out. Um, make sure to stay tuned for next episode where we're going to announce the next World Scientific giveaway. Are we doing it every week? Every episode? We'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that's everything. Uh, also, go follow mathphysics.podcast for all of our updates because that's basically where we update all our listeners. On Instagram. On, on Instagram. And any more platforms that I'm forgetting. Rate the podcast on Spotify if you're listening to it on Spotify because that's a new feature. So why not? And if you are listening on Spotify, hop on to YouTube. Check out our faces. Okay. <laughs> All right. This has been episode number 96. Indeed. And thank you so much for listening. I am your host, Parker. And I'm Ray. And we shall see you soon. Bye, guys.